Hey, welcome back again to Uncommon People. This is the show about you and me and everyone in between. This is a chance for me to sit down and garner some wisdom from someone else's story to learn from their perspective and experiences and to just really have a good time getting to know someone else and their story. Um, This episode, episode 33, was a conversation with Bradley Riggs and was really, honestly, just a fun conversation for me to have. It was a pleasure to sit down and talk with Bradley about some random things and just have the chance to get to know him better and discuss some things of substance in the process. Really, I think that's something important to gain from this is that good conversation doesn't have to come with a specific agenda or specific topics. So I would encourage you to sit down and just have a conversation with someone and see where it goes. So this is, as I said, episode number 33 of Uncommon People, and I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Which, which are we going to start with? That there? The crowler? Quick taste. I don't really want to crush this whole can. Just from a... It's a lot of liquid. Yes, it is. How much liquid is it, crowler? 25.4 ounces. So just a little more than two cans. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm excited for you specifically to try this. Uh, I think we're going to go with some sort of branding that it is like a honey oat vanilla latte. It is brewed with honey malt and a lot of oats. And then um, secondary, we added vanilla extract and the airship espresso, which is your black apple espresso, black apple, finely ground. And we added that on the hot, hot side and kind of whirlpooled that and then the runoff from that. And so there is to some extent caffeine in this product. Okay. But there's no alcohol. So it there's is no a, alcohol. It's a non-alcoholic. Non-alcoholic. Yeah. So all the airship fans can still enjoy. That's right. Of, even of, if they're just high school students. Of any ages. Yeah. Yes. So cheers. Yeah, cheers. I smell a lot of the coffee on the nose, like very roasty. I taste um, the coffee too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's there. Um subtle though. Gives away to like a marshmallowy vanilla aspect. Yeah, yeah. And then just like lingering Cheerios on the finish. Like lingering oats. Man, that's such a good description right there. That really is it. It's, I get paid to describe beer, right? So right. I hope yeah. I'm good at it. Yeah. No, to me, I even on the first sip, it definitely, I get specifically more of our espresso. That's cool. Brewing from you would espresso know versus more so what it tastes coffee. like than I do. Well, that's what I'm picking up on because, yeah, okay. I'm smelling it all day. Absolutely. I wouldn't say I'm tasting it all day because yeah. I actually don't drink very much coffee at all. Okay. 
I mean, even today, for all for any other baristas listening, they're gonna like spit out whatever they're drinking right now. But I don't even taste the coffee all the time when I dial in, uh. which means like getting the recipe just right in the morning, getting the, shots to the, pull with the drip or for to. the for the pull for espresso okay. or drip. I mean, I make I make everything according to recipe and make sure it's within range, mm-hmm. but I'm not tasting all of it. I'll usually, in the course of the day, at some point, taste some of the espresso or have a little bit of drip, but I so don't what, like... So what kind of adjectives do you use to gauge how the pull of an, an espresso is as you're dialing it in? What type of uh, scale measuring system? Um, in terms of like the words that I would use, mm-hmm. they that one's tricky for me one i'm not the best at this i'll put a disclaimer at the front of this explanation um with espresso it seems pretty to me the two ends would be under extracted meaning i didn't give it enough time in the pull and that's on the sour side and then over extracted tends to be more of a like richer dark more um, smoky side. So the scale is extraction. Right. You're trying to gauge where the perfect pull within how much is being extracted. Basically. All right. I'm going to start, I'm going to start coming in saying, Hey, the extraction of this pull is just right or not <laughs> enough or way too much. Yeah. Now that I Over know what, under what terms you're talking on. Yeah. Over <laughs> or under extracted is like the beginning okay. of understanding is this good coffee? Got it. Because if it's extracted properly, then in theory at least, it should taste the way it's supposed to taste. Like there is actually science behind it. There's mm-hmm. a a three-dimensional chart that okay. we use when dialing in coffee to rate where it is in terms of its like ideal position on that chart. Um, I don't remember what the various axes are or what they represent, but coffee has a range and it's supposed to fall in a certain place so you can use equipment that's reading acidity and different things ph level and all this in the coffee and then based on that information having that data get an idea of what it's going to taste like which is really interesting and is not what i get paid to do i do find all that stuff interesting yeah what is your standard ph of a dialed in espresso no idea <laughs> no idea well from a beer standpoint this morning, is a 3.9 ph so a little more tart okay. than i would have thought for those extra details i like uh, this in listening to your previous shows i've realized that everyone in the world is listening so for all the yeah. listeners out there this is a 3.9 ph the audience is huge um, yeah and there's a lot of people that are looking for the ph of what, what we're drinking so i yes. want to make sure we get that out there yeah this is going to sell great once it's <laughs> once people listen to this yeah it's funny you got me talking on coffee like right off the bat yeah and i don't even really know that much about it it's okay what i'm talking about we're gonna talk about that we don't know a lot about it yeah you know what you're talking about with beer though how long have you been doing beer stuff Beer stuff. So, whoo. I'll keep it more specific. As far as the production of beer stuff, uh-huh. I started home brewing probably about, let's see, we're in 2022. 
probably about seven years ago. Um, no, longer than that. Probably about nine years ago, started homebrewing and um, went professional, I guess, opening Hawk Moth in September of 2018. So I would classify myself as a pro brewer for about four years. Okay. And so you, what do you do with Bike Rack too? Do you own Bike Rack as well? Yeah, so I'm part of the ownership group with that. So in January of 21, we merged as two companies into just one single branded. It went from Hawk Moth LLC and Bike Rack LLC to Bike Rack Incorporated. So we okay. switched our legal documentation. It's all one revenue stream, um, shared expenses, um, shared operation tips, things like that, but still independent brands to the public eye and what our two identities and visions are. Okay. Hawk Moth is small batch, largely barrel focused, weird one-off beer, like okay. true passion driven beer. Yeah. And Bike Rack is more of that production mainstream, um, I hate to say it, but maybe a little corporate and uh, that, that works for, for where it's at and who they're marketing to. Yeah. So, okay. but, but very different um, goals overall. Uh-huh. You know, we're both within the, the beer world and we're two breweries 10 miles apart, but really reaching different demographics. Okay. So. Which is cool. Mm-hmm. It is cool. I like it's, that. It's fun for me to kind of play mentally in both worlds. Of I have my passion project and can creatively brew whatever I want. But I also get to play in that large-scale production side, uh-huh. which is not something I ever thought I was going to get to do with Hawk Moth. So that was true, but I'm still getting to do it simultaneously. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. Because yeah. it makes me think of, and again, coffee coming up. I've had a com- mostly conversations with one roaster in particular um, who owns Confident Coffee, which is in Johnson, Okay, about the like coffee market and what it's like to open a new coffee shop in Northwest Arkansas. Because yeah, you make that sound. People ask questions like, Oh man, that's kind of bold or that's mm-hmm. brave or you're right down the road from Onyx. What do you mm-hmm. think it's going to, how do you, how's that going to affect you? And for her having been in it for a while and understanding the market and having put a lot of thought into why am I doing this and how am I going to do it? Well, it was really interesting to hear her talk about it because the way she sees it, there's always room for more coffee. Yep. Part of the reason is that in terms of this, the like population spread of this area, yeah. you're driving anywhere you go. So if you live in Springdale and you want to go to a coffee shop, you're getting in the car anyways mm-hmm. to go drive somewhere. And unless your two shops are like across the street from each other, that on its own isn't going to be as much of a determining factor for you in terms of, oh, where am I going to go? There's probably other things factoring in your decision in that, in that sense. Um, and then in addition to that, all the different shops are run differently and they have different markets and different demographics of people who are generally going there. Yeah. A lot of the time it's a neighborhood shop and people who live in the area stop in before or after work and that's their spot because of location. But then a lot of the time people just start enjoying 
the atmosphere of one particular shop over another. And then, you know, that's, you, I mean, that is what taste, happens. Yeah. yeah. And your taste in that even changes, I think. There are shops that I used to spend a lot of time in that I don't as much anymore just because I'm growing and changing. And sometimes I'm in a different mood or certain moods are less normal for me than they used to be. Yeah, and you can't expect the coffee shop to grow and change with you. They're they're fulfilling their own vision for what the business is and you just take it for what it is of... You overlapped for X number of years and wherever the chapters of your life were. And mm-hmm. but yeah, I can relate to that. That's as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh yeah, that has happened to me, um, even within this area. Yeah. So hmm. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, I like I I viewed beer five years ago. The the coffee boom in NWA had really just started. Onyx was newer still and uh just starting to go out to these national level comp competitions and gain that recognition the building the brand building the online store it was like really early stages but i correlated the two of beer and coffee oftentimes can reach a similar demographic at least from an age group standpoint even though one is alcohol and one is not you know it's almost the 18-year-old go to the coffee shop and they'll be going to the brewery four years later when they're 22 or whatever. So mm-hmm. it, it, it does kind of come full circle. And we we built a lot of our business plan off of, man, if Onyx can go out and get the attention of coffee shops in San Francisco or coffee shops in Manhattan and the East Coast and the West Coast are looking to Bentonville, Arkansas, saying, wow, look at that coffee scene that's happening. Why isn't that happening with beer yet? was was my thought like you go to the east coast you go to the west coast there's these booming beer scenes in these these small towns of craft beer why is there not a booming craft beer scene in nwa yet well five years later there's now i think 15 breweries in benton county alone like it just (laughs) happened overnight and uh yeah it it was just uh in hindsight it was just a matter of time I, i i thought it should already be there and it wasn't but that didn't mean that it wasn't coming because right. it certainly was. Yeah. So. Okay. Are you from this area? Yeah. Uh, born and raised in Rogers, Arkansas. Okay. So I've seen the whole change take place. Yes. Um, the change. It's, it's, it's funny. I was talking to um, my daughter's <laughs> new teacher yesterday, and she was saying that she is from here. And I was like, oh, a true local. And she kind of laughed. And I said, yeah, there's less and less of us. Which is yeah. Which ten years ago, we were all locals. Everyone knew everyone, and how fast that changed. Of, it's been so cool to see all the culture and everything moving into this area, and what it's done to the area. It, it, it's, it's a true bubble in the U.S. Yeah. Of, uh, of a little bit of everything. It is, and that's a positive. I I agree. Yeah, I view it as a positive. Yeah, yeah I do too. I mean, I, I can't speak to it in the same way that you can because I'm not from here. People, I'll tell people I've been here close to five years and they say, oh, you're close to being a local at this point. Yeah, that is... Because so many people haven't even been here that long. No. I mean, I meet people every day who are moving here or who have been here a couple of years and feel like they're just getting settled. It really is interesting 
to have jumped in and moved to this area when this boom was happening, mm. but have been unaware of it. And to me, it was just, this is the place where I am. And it seems really cool. And like, there's a lot going on here. Mm -hmm. And now four and a half years into it, I'm realizing that's what everybody has been saying about this area. Yeah. And it's, it's that's, kind of wild. That it's is an unusual place. Norm. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It, it, it went from small town America to actual stereotypical small town America. Like what the rest of the country thinks and envisions as small town America with the square and the American flag on the courthouse and all the pictures that you see of what small town America looks like in movies. That's what our small town became is okay. the definition of small town America. But when you were growing up in Rogers, it was not even. No, it was. I mean, at that stage, like fields and paved roads were cool. Yeah. Uh, like we're. That wasn't that long ago. Like, um, you don't realize it in the moment, like where you're at in the timeline of the city. Yeah. But I, w I, I wish I was more aware to being observant to the things that I'm observant to now. Yeah. So um, when you were growing up in Rogers, Arkansas, mm -hmm. with a lot of fields around. Mm -hmm small shops that were just kind of the mom and pop shop that was in the neighborhood. Yeah. How did you feel about it then? And did you want or anticipate any kind of change? I don't even think my mind was there. My mind wasn't thinking about um, what's happening to the area. Is it positive? Is growth good? My mind was thinking about playing basketball. Right. Like, I mean, just very basic simple stuff yeah and when um, you're a kid when an adolescent you aren't thinking about population growth and the road no system. clue like i remember some i guess the closest thing to that is whenever they broke ground to build the promenade in the pinnacle part of rogers uh -huh. um which is right off of the interstate it was south of where all of rogers to that point had had been Rogers was um, the downtown area um, all up and down Walnut. And so anything South of Walnut was almost out of town and they were going to build this whole mall and development area like in fields. And I was like, Oh, that's so weird. Why, why would they choose a location to build a huge mall out there? There's no one out there. And now it is, like that is so obviously the dead square of every like the the center of it all just right off the interstate it separates Pleasant Grove from Rogers Bentonville area people know what they're doing in city planning yeah <laughs> i find city planning fascinating maybe that was a a career i sh i should have gone into but again i was too focused on playing basketball and riding my bike uh -huh. than seeing the city planning for what it actually was right which is probably the case for just about everybody. Would, Unless you go so. into college and you start thinking, man, I just, I feel like the city could be better. I want to be part of the committee that helps it's, plan. It's not even, I don't it. think about like having a mindset of making it better. It's more so of, I have such an interest in why does the city choose what they choose? Like whenever they, they decide on a 20 year vision, we've got to start building West. 
We've got to start building west. If you zoom out far enough on bird's eye, where are we going on the map? We've got to go west. I want to be a part of those type meetings. And then what are the 600 steps over the next 20 years to incorporate an extra 100,000 people in the western area of town? Like That is fascinating to me. Of There's some power in those decisions with some long-term residual effects of, of how that type of city planning goes. But yeah. Bentonville has very good city planning, clearly. Like, they obviously have, have, have funding and a lot of money, but that's only part of the equation. The planning and the execution of the planning is the other part. And I think for what their goals have been, they've achieved most of them. Yeah. So mm. what a weird tangent that we're on right now about city planning. You know, it, my brother has, has joked with me that it, I think it's, um, let me get this right. There's, I think he says there's certain things that when guys get together, they inevitably talk about. Okay. One of those things is roads. Okay. Have you found this to be true? Hmm. When you get a group of guys together, not necessarily 100% of the time, every conversation you have, but men will divert the conversation or end up talking about roads. Why do you think that is? Uh, I've never actually thought about it before, so I feel like there's something to do talking with, about it like, now. The transportation a lot of aspect of um, and the convenience of what we look for in society of when we opted to go with interstates over public transportation, our culture said, we're going to value roads more than, you know, an inconvenience. We're going to choose convenience over that. Maybe that's like our, our subconscious always wanting to talk about roads because the choices were made for us a hundred years ago, 200 years ago. I think part of it is we're maybe data centric is the word. Okay. Like looking at numbers and I do. charts yes. and and like very practical things mm-hmm. in our day to day. And for me to talk about the roads, just it's a very, very easy practical. practical thing. It mm-hmm. affects our lives on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. We complain about construction constantly. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're typically never mad when the construction's done and it's more con- convenient for our way of travel. Uh-huh. We instantly forget about all the times that we complain. Yeah. Hmm. Do you think you're a patient driver? Um, if, this was, if this interview, if this podcast was taking place a year ago, I would have said I am not a patient driver. I'm like not full-blown road rage, but I am a get in the car and get from point A to point B as fast as you can. That's the purpose of what you're doing. Just get it done. And that is not describing a patient driver. I have found that as I am simply trying, I think like one of the real like virtues that I want is more patience in order to do that, you have to mindfully practice it all the time. Mm-hmm. 
And we spend a lot of time in our cars every day. Like I probably spend an hour at least in my car every day. Yeah. And so I will very intentionally try to be a patient driver now, which will carry over into having patience in every other aspect of life. Yeah. So I'm not as patient of a driver as I want to be. Maybe that will never be the case. Um, but I am certainly more patient today than I was a year ago. That's good. Yeah. Roughly a year ago. Yeah. As I think back. Yeah. It's such a great opportunity. I mean, it's an opportunity that we are presented with every single day to just learn how to be okay with slowing down mm. or with not going as fast as we would like. That's a good way to say it. <clears throat> and it's really interesting not to me because it's not even like. it's not even about how fast I'm going. It's about how fast the people around me are going. So there's like a spirit of competition? Really, I think that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Because if the speed limit is 40, I want to be doing 45. Mm -hmm. And the people who are doing the speed limit, I'm moving around and mm -hmm. passing. Or if I can't, I'm wanting to. On the interstate, the speed limit's 70, I'm doing 75. So really, it's just about what's the pace of traffic and i want to be in the upper percentile and if the pace is doing 75 faster. you're doing 80 right yeah yeah we're letting it's a little bit of a struggle of in others my car, but control I try. our choices yes yeah there's something to think about yeah, so there's some reflection 25 in million listeners oh man it's at <laughs> least that now that was like a few episodes ago i saw oh yeah at this point it's probably 100 million you know, how, how do you feel about, you're a business owner, so how do you feel about, um, we could call it self-promotion, or talking about what you do or a product that you offer? Because this is an area that's sticky for me. It's hard for me to navigate. Okay. But I'm learning to do it better, I think, and I'm getting input from other people, and I'm, I'm finding wisdom in... And other people's experience. I want to know what you think of this area. So, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm hearing it and thinking in this manner. This area being so business focused, so corporate minded, I have lived in it my whole life, and so the evolution has happened so slowly that you never saw like a hard jump of like moving into a new area of you meet people constantly and so often the first question asked is what do you do right like what do you what do you do for a living and in in a first impression moment whatever you tell them that's what the other person is going to think about you like they're they're going to think oh well that person does this that is who they are and i think i was I've been really guilty of that in getting to know people for what they do and not who they are. And so then you only see them as almost like an object of, oh, well, that person does does this. Mm -hmm. But again, if you dissect every word in that sentence, well, that person who is someone just yeah. simply does something. Right. Um, so... There's that aspect of my observation, but it's also when you're truly doing something that you love, it doesn't feel like a job necessarily. It's just almost like an effortless passion being fulfilled. And when there's 
genuine raw excitement about like say a product or something from that person to other people is it marketing or is it just turns out full circle that is who they are hmm. they are tied to their products like it has become a part of their identity because they have intentionally created it to be a part of their identity um i don't know i don't i don't have a maybe a right or a wrong answer with that of how, what is the fine line? How do you market products without always in the back of your mind just seeking like self gain? Mm-hmm. It's rare, maybe. Um, but sometimes I am like with let's say for instance this coffee beer. I was just excited for you to try it. And there was like nothing more than excitement. So like, well, is that marketing? I, I don't I don't see it as marketing. Marketing for me is a different brain that I turn on of. It's time to get in business mode, market. But I guess at its simplest form, that is marketing. Hmm. Um, does yeah. that answer the question? That's yeah, it does. <laughs> no, that was very good. It does. Again, it is about language and how we're using these words. What do we mean when we say marketing? Yeah, what do we mean? Because... Yeah, if, if you come out with a new beer and you do it because you're excited about it and you enjoy what it is and you want other people to enjoy it too, mm-hmm. you do benefit from people liking this thing and wanting to then be invested in the brand or in the product. Mm-hmm. But it came first from a place of just enjoying what the thing was and actually believing in it. Yeah. Like I think, for instance... I am a great salesman for things that I believe in. Don't ask me to sell something I don't really care about, though, because what I'm going to tell people who I'm pointed to as, as you know, the potential purchaser is, you know, I don't think this thing's that great anyways. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest because so I just don't feel right. authenticity to that. Yeah. I think people can typically identify authenticity. Yes. They're drawn to it when it's real. And uh, they run from it when they can tell it's fake. Right. Yeah. And so for me, it's interesting to think about. It, it, I say it's been difficult for me, this area of like self-promotion, air quotes, because say I do this podcast. I do it because I really think it's a great idea. I love what it is. Mm-hmm. I love getting to have these conversations. And I, I think there's so much value in hearing other people's stories. And I want as many people as possible to listen to them because I think they would benefit from them. If a million people are listening to my podcast, I'm going to benefit too. But genuinely, I don't think I want people listening if they're doing it because if they're doing it for any other reason than that they want to. If you, if I recommend this podcast to somebody, if you're listening right now because somebody recommended it to you. One of the like, hundred million. Yeah, yeah. If you're one of the hundred million people listening to this right now and you're like, this is boring. And I'm not getting any value from this. They're not talking about anything that I'm actually interested in. They're not talking about anything. Right. right. <laughs> then turn it off. It's not, <laughs> like, yeah. It's, you know. Um, and it's funny. I was, uh, my friend John called me yesterday and was talking about this with me and saying, it's interesting when you start looking at self-promotion say on the internet because 
even if this is all that you talk about, say I post about my podcast, you know, three times a week, that's a tiny blip in somebody else's experience of me. And if they don't care for it, they just scroll past and they don't think about it. Um, I think it's probably similar in person that if you ask me what I do or you ask me what I like to do or what I do for fun or what I do for work, and I tell you, you don't have to linger on that and nobody makes you linger on it. But I have the opportunity by telling you what I spend my time on to invite you into that thing too. And I don't want to be somebody who does it because I'm just thinking about personal benefit. And I mean, I'm, I don't think I'm going to end up in that place if what I'm doing starts anyways from a place of wanting to benefit other people too and do it, doing it because I believe that it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And yet it's still hard for me. It's still hard to say, hey, this is something I do. I think it'd be cool if you checked it out. It might you might really enjoy it. Or hey, I do photography. Like if you need if you need anything, like let me know. Mm-hmm. Just different areas of myself as a brand or as a business that's hard for me to talk about even though I believe in it. Well, and there it is. If you believe in it, then to you it is something that is true. Like we create our own reality. And then the things that we believe are what shape our individual realities. So yeah, if you if you do believe in that, then it has been made true within your own mind. Hmm. Um I think people can recognize that stuff. Yeah. Of like truly identifying what other people believe in and then having that respect for the other person for what it is, whether they agree or disagree with it, whether it is an interest or a very boring topic like they'll still see that if you believe in it that's kind of what that x factor is that it factor Mm. i guess yeah we really have been rambling we have i feel like we should drill down and talk about you okay okay I'm just here for a good conversation. Yeah, and, me and to too. Pop some bottles. Yeah, yeah. We should open a bottle. This is a um, good transition period for the conversation. Okay. Which one? Let's Something see. alcoholic. Yeah. So those. We need, we need a little bite. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go with Golden Barrel Spice. It was our Christmas sour release of 2021. So it's about about eight months old, nine months old. A bottle opener. Or oh, I do. Object of some sort. Keys. Well, now I don't. Now um, I want to look around and see if I have anything that I can just. It's like it's kind of a weird, uh, su- like superhero talent I've developed. Um, you name it, I can probably open a bottle of beer with it. Like, give me your credit card. I can probably do it. I might break oh. your credit card though. You, if you don't want it to get scratched, I would say. Oh, I don't care about it getting scratched. Oh, then. Yeah. Oh yeah, this there. is. This guy's definitely He's that. going off then. It doesn't have the the length to I'm provide have a lot to go of leverage. On the side of it, actually. Bradley is currently opening a bottle of beer with I am. a watch buckle <laughs> with a very small. <laughs> you you have def- found a good <laughs> item for me. My superhero skills are being. Put to the test. 
I have other things too. Should I grab something else? Hmm. I'm just gonna work on this one for a while. I have an actual. I have an actual bottle opener on my keys, but my keys are not in here. Hmm. So, here's a. Oh man, I thought I got it. Well, I may have broke the buckle. Nah, I don't think so. I think it'll be fine. All right, well. Here's a spoon. This is my go-to. So it turns out watch buckles are like my kryptonite, <laughs> I guess. Oh, yes, a good old spoon. There's a spoon. That'll work. A titanium spoon. That is a nice titanium spoon. usually in my bag. There's the sound of the cap <laughs> coming off. For the hundred million, we can just skip for right it. past the struggle. I think the struggle is part of the story. Yeah, it could be. There are definitely times when I'm recording, and I think this is kind of just an awkward interaction we're having right now, and just kind of pointless to the conversation in terms of the podcast. People consuming it later, and then I listen back to it. I'm like, yeah, I mean, it. Oh, it you get to real. hear what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Authenticity, you know. I know. There's not enough of it in the world. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. That does smell awesome. like Christmas. So it was a, let me see what we got on the side. A sour golden ale aged in an Elijah Craig bourbon barrel for seven months mm. and then finished with cinnamon. So it is a cinnamon sour, barrel aged cinnamon sour. I'm not going to say. Oh, I... man, you can hear the bubbles. Yes. Ooh. I hope that comes through. I'm going to have to I'll listen to it and I can boost it. Mm. I'm not going to say I taste the Elijah Craig because I'm not that good with whiskey to be able to say, oh, that's what this tastes like. Yeah. But, but barrel aged, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's what the barrel is doing in this case, in my opinion, is it's boosting like the mid punch of the cinnamon. So the cinnamon is not coming across as like thin and spicy. It's coming across as like a a rounded, um, a little bit of a warming sense in the chest, but um, more of a blanket than like a sharp dagger. Mm. <laughs> Does that combination of words <laughs> make sense in describing beer? Yeah. It's a, it's a soft subtlety in like how it boosts the presence of the adjunct sediment in this case. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I read something like that in a C.S. Lewis book. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny that he is an author that when I read his more heady stuff, I'll struggle the whole way through the paragraph and then I'll get toward the end of it, the last couple sentences or the sentence, and I think, oh, okay, I, I get what he's saying. Mm. The, the total meaning of what he was building to makes sense. So then do you, not do you go back and enough. read it from the top again? Typically, yes. A different yes. perspective? Yes. Yeah. It takes a while. I I read The Abolition of Man recently, and that um, that had me rereading many paragraphs. Mm. I struggle with that. I don't know if it's like some there's some OCD or some ADD, but, oh, I struggle to like read through something and then on to the next page, on the next page. I have to reread things a lot. <laughs> if I'm zoned in and, and I'm enjoying it, then I don't reread as much. Okay. 
that's kind of how I know if I'm enjoying a, a really enjoying a book is if I can actually recall what I've read. Wow, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that's explained so well. Yeah, there have been many a chapter of the book I'm currently in the process of reading that I got through, and I was like, "Well, I got through it." It like part of my brain processed what was being said, mm-hmm. but I couldn't tell you. Maybe it buried the rest in the subconscious that will continue to bleed out over time. Yeah, or maybe it'll come up right at the right moment when I need that knowledge. Wow, it'll just find its way to the surface. I mean, I think you're onto something. Maybe so. It's probably the beer. Ah, so you mentioned one of the things that people tend to ask when you first meet someone, what do you do? Mm -hmm. That's a very normal Mm go-to, right, for most of us. Mm -hmm. Uh, Personally, I've been trying to more often say, what do you do in your free time? Because I I enjoy, I find a lot of people don't necessarily love what they do for work. Yeah. And getting on that topic then of something that you do almost – out of drudgery isn't to me the most strategic way to enter a conversation. Mm -hmm. But what is it you wish people would ask more often? Ooh, what is the question? As far as getting to know you initially. Wow. Um, So if I could tell someone a, tell someone something about myself, but I would need them to ask the right question to tell them, what would it be? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah. That's another way of saying it. It's all about asking the right question. Another way of saying it is, what do you wish people knew about you? Okay. What do I wish people knew about me? Um... Huh. I think in order to assume that I want others knowing things about me would be that I didn't value privacy as much. But I think I, the older I get, the more I value privacy. Hmm. And I think I'm really good with people knowing what they do know about me, but not knowing what they don't know about me. <laughs> I mean, is, is that what privacy is? And here is? you are on the podcast where we're going to like dig into your life. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, Presumably that's what we're going to do at some point. That's know, it. 40 minutes in. <laughs> Honesty, transparency. <laughs> Those are all the tough things. Hmm. I don't know. My my go-to question, it can either be a deep question or a really shallow question. I'll ask people all the time, like, what's the best thing that you've eaten in the last week? Because uh, I like food, and so I'll ask the question already having an interest in whatever answer they're going to give me because um, it's going to be about food. Mm-hmm. So, man, I'm going to have to put some more thought into that and circle back to it. What okay. is the question I want people to ask me? I don't know. What if they just they they you introduce yourselves and they give you they give you their name and they say, "So who are you? 
How would you respond to that kind of a question? Because that feels like a deeper question. That feels obviously not the same thing as what do you do? Mm-hmm. I think I'd have to be in the right mindset of not feeling busy. Yeah. I have such a busy brain that I would immediately start calculating, okay, how long of an answer can I give to how short of an answer can I give? Right. Does this need to be a handshake 10 second or do we have five minutes to go sit down? Yeah. I would start calculating immediately. In yeah, my brain. I do the same. It's maybe a problem even of like numbers and calculations get in the way sometimes of just giving those answers. The positive side of that though <laughs> is knowing your limitations. Mm-hmm and obligations and what place they have in your day and your time. Because it's similar for me. I love having conversation with people. I love being authentic and very open. And I'm usually very willing to have those conversations. But if you ask questions that lead in that way while I'm on bar on a Friday morning and I'm making, you know, five drinks. It's just not fair, there's, right? people in line waiting to order more drinks. Mm -hmm. I just don't have the capacity at the time to give the most, you know, full answers. What's your go-to answer behind the barista bar? For what question? Um, (laughs) Just your go-to answer. (laughs) I think we all have uh, like little sayings or things that... I try really hard not to. That's why I always think you're an intentional person because I mean, you don't ever have the same answer twice for me. In whatever it is. I really don't like platitudes. I don't like saying anything just because it's what we say. So much of... Is that called platitudes? I think a platitude is a phrase that is often repeated without any real meaning behind it anymore. Okay, that's... I'm not to really dive into another 40 minute rabbit hole. Do we ever even know where these things come from or were they just subconsciously planted in the first place? Uh, I think it depends on what you're referring to specifically. Right. That's a very broad etymology is. Yes. Yeah. Those are the people who, who dig those up. I used to, I still do subscribe to it, but it's not really active anymore. It was called the phrase a week. And it was an email newsletter run by this one guy. He's an etymologist. Mm -hmm. And he would take a commonly used or known phrase, talk about its meaning, where it came from, and how it has evolved. Oh, I love that. Um, It was a lot of fun. I have all of the emails saved because it's just great data to have. It's really fun information. One of them was throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I remember that being one. Um like flying your flag was one i don't know there were a bunch of different ones so i'm sure depending on what you're talking about there's there are solid answers on what those are but i mean even things as simple as um i mean how are you is almost a meaningless phrase it is how are you has replaced hello Mm -hmm. Because if I respond, if I if you say that to me and I think about it and then I actually tell you how I'm feeling today, regardless of how it is, I just give an honest answer of this is how I am. Most of the time, that's not what people are wanting. 
Um, and you can tell because a lot of the time your answer doesn't affect how they respond and their response is just, yeah, good. Yep. Oh man. I, I mean, I'm so guilty of it. Like so guilty of that. We all are. Absolutely. We, we are all guilty of that. But that's why I try really hard not to use those phrases. It's, a, it's become an annoyance for me working in coffee that those are the primary types of interactions yeah, that I have. Because people come in and they're there for coffee. It's, how are you? I'll be better when I get my coffee. How, you know, <sighs> how are you feeling today? Oh, it's Friday. You know, it's, it's those kinds of responses that I'm used to getting. And a lot of the time, I don't know what to do other than just kind of smile and nod. Because I don't want to reciprocate and, and with that reciprocation show, yes, these kinds of interactions are great. We should keep doing this. I would rather, and I'm not saying I am in the position to do this as a barista, but I would rather intentionally push back against those and get to ask the questions that we're all choosing not to because we think, me just hurrying along with my day and saying the phrase is what I'm supposed to do right now. It's because we're, we create layers for our own protection, we think, right? Like it's, again, it's back to like vulnerability and transparency. Those are lost things in society as a whole. Like no one's truly transparent or vulnerable. Why do you think that is? Uh, probably because our society views those two things as weakness. And so we have strived to eliminate weakness. Hmm. But again, you have to have a balance to everything. With strength comes weakness. And yeah. to be a well-rounded individual, you have to be able to tap into all of the, the different feelings, not just the, the ones that people sing your praises over. Right. And I think there's balance in the same way. I think there's balance when it comes to being authentic or being open because there's a time and a place for things. And like I was using the example of being a barista and being on, you know, making drinks right then probably isn't the time to tell you my life story. Mm -hmm. I'd love to, but mm -hmm. that's probably not the time. And more recently I've just been learning, um, getting better at knowing when to keep silent as well. Mm. Um, and a lot of that is just based on being able to read the situation well enough to know how much does the other person actually want. I don't want to be volunteering information or story that isn't actually desired by the other person because they're one, they're, they don't want it, and so it's not going to be valued very much. It's also not going to be retained or appreciated, or they're not going to gain much from it. On the other hand, if they're expecting to gain something from it, which is why they're asking, then I have the opportunity to actually provide something. But most of the time in coffee, that's not happening. Because it's a streamlined service. Yeah. yeah. And it's habitual a lot of us do it because it's it's part of our day 
which it's is fine. Yeah, it is I, fine. It's, you know, it's part of the routine. And I do love the opportunity to be somebody who's there who can disrupt your routine just enough to bring something more to your day. Because as I'll tell people very openly, I really don't care about selling the product that we sell as a cafe. Mm -hmm. What I sell is the environment. Mm -hmm. I want you to come back because you had a good experience because you enjoyed it is. coming into the shop. Yeah, I mean, that, that to me is what it's about. People can go and buy coffee in way more economical ways. Evidently, there's something about going into a cafe with people working behind the bar mm -hmm. that is enticing enough for people to come back and spend $5 on a regular basis for a coffee. Mm -hmm. and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's great. What an opportunity that most of us in that world are wasting by thinking it's more about the product that we're serving than it is about the connection that we get to have with another human being. And I've been fortunate to work under some really awesome managers who really stress that to their team. That, I mean, the first person who hired me here in Arkansas at Starbucks would tell people, tell his team all the time, like we interact with like a thousand people a day. It's a thousand people you get to show love to. Think of the impact you can have. Mm. And whether they spend 10 bucks or they just get a water and don't spend anything, they're more likely to come back again anyway, which is the business side of it, Yes. if they had a good experience. So to me, I don't have to be concerned about, did I sell them on a lot of things? Because did if they walk away out. and they're like, whoa, he remembered my name, yeah. they're way more likely to come back than if I just like upsold a brownie to them, you know? Yeah. Man, and we sell some good brownies at Airship. I, the man, I've <laughs> I've publicly um, been campaigning that they're the best cookies in town for a while now. Yeah, so publicly campaigning, I like have. you just tell people who come into the brewery, just anyone who is willing <laughs> to listen is going to hear about Airship's cookies. Man, um, yeah, you know, and I, I think a lot of times I walk in the door looking for an experience. And then half the time I'm, I'm very transactionally looking to get a coffee and, mm -hmm. and, and go. Um, and from the business side, they've got my business of walking in to just grab the coffee to go because of the experiences the other half of the time. Right. Yep. Yeah. And I would assume that most people, even if they can't recognize and name it that well, are having the same kind of experience. Well, and that they're then returning because the added they layer feel comfortable there is when we bring in our daughter, our seven-year-old, and you guys know her. Well, then it's like, oh, we're all hooked, right? Like, yeah. if you're giving her that attention that she's recognizing at such an early age of like, oh, this feels different than a normal experience. That's what's really con contagious yeah. of repetitive business and habits. Yeah. So, and again, circling hmm. back, then it becomes more about more than just business. It's not just a transactional thing. You're I affecting agree. somebody's life. Mm -hmm. Like you have the opportunity, even like with your daughter, mm -hmm. that you get to speak life into somebody else and just give them an experience that brings some joy to them or makes them smile. Mm -hmm. 
at a young age that can be transformative. Yeah. And and not only do we get Deep to do that influence for sure. Yeah. And I get to do that with adults too. Hmm. Which to me is even more poignant in a sense cuz it, it feels very normal and, and natural to interact with a kid in that kind of way. Um, and just like kind of become a kid again too. Um, I think though for a lot of people, they reach adulthood and are still struggling with a lot of childhood bonds and things that hold them back because they don't necessarily feel safe or comfortable all the time. And to get to be that safe place for somebody who's still trying to figure out what that is Mm -hmm. at a much later stage in life. That to me is a huge. Yeah. That's very cool. Blessing. Yeah. I remember vividly this interaction I had with somebody at Starbucks a few years ago who had a stutter. He was struggling with stutter and I could tell while he was ordering that if he, he made some sort of mistake and that would make him feel more self-conscious and he mm. would stutter worse. And all I wanted, as soon as I noticed anything, was like, I want this guy to know I don't care that he's stuttering. Like, this... Right? Like, uh, the other side of, of the person, like, we don't care like they think we care by perception. Yeah. Like, the way that they think the exchange is going isn't typically how the exchange is going. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Man, that is... That's good. Yeah, that's why I'm here, just to lay down the wisdom, you know? Honestly, I feel like I've been talking way too much on this this podcast today. It's been been a good refreshing moment of listening, actually. Like, I feel like... Sometimes those exchanges, they take energy, like, like we were talking about er- earlier, um, off camera or off microphone. I'm not sure what the proper term is. The whole energy exchange, walking into a coffee shop, sometimes all I have to give is the five bucks for the coffee. Sometimes you have the energy to give more, and it's amazing when you receive the energy back of a true exchange. Mm-hmm. That's part of the experience as well, that can't always be replicated every day. It can't ever be replicated because every day is a different set of whatever combination mm-hmm. the circumstances are. Yeah. So You mentioned earlier, I'm trying to recall what words you used. You said something about we put up walls or like we have... Man. Hmm. We have, like, I'll say, I can't remember what words you used, so I'll tell you what I was perceiving from what you were saying, and that's that we build walls socially around ourselves to function efficiently in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Were you talking? I feel like you you mentioned something that seems to be describing to be that, that, to that effect. I'm thinking back. Oh yeah, like I think that to some extent is what I was describing. Okay. So let's talk about that. Because mm-hmm. I've found that really interesting as I've become aware of it in the last 
New Year's? Well, we'll start right there. It's about self-awareness. Yeah. Um, how self-aware are you? Never self-aware enough. We're never fully self-aware. It's, I, don't, I don't think it's a possible trait to possess at 100% charged up level battery self-awareness. Like We're never fully self-aware, but we're always trying to be more self-aware than we were in the last moment. Hopefully. Um, ho- hopefully. I, yeah. I shouldn't assume. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. Yeah. So. I mean, I found, so I'll, I'll give an example. For me, one of the, one of the reasons I've struggled socially for most of my life. I'll tell people, regularly that I learned how to talk to people three years ago. Um, okay. In coffee shops, no mm-hmm. less. Great opportunity. But I found that one of the things we do you is... You say that like it's a skill that everyone should possess early on in life. I think I have had the assumption, <laughs> which I'm learning was incorrect, that other people figure this out they all know how I to do. do it yeah like i was homeschooled a common conception about homeschoolers is they're socially awkward mm-hmm. um today if you were to ask me what's the difference socially between homeschoolers and public schoolers i would make a, a general statement and say i think generally speaking homeschoolers can talk to people who are older than them and public schoolers learn how to talk to their peers and I've observed that in a lot of people. Very good way to socially describe it. Yeah. And I've also been told that by a lot of people, which I, I didn't think about it that much. It was kind of as a kid when your parents' friends are over and they leave and say, hey, your kids make really good conversation. And they look in your eye when they talk. As a kid, you just kind of squirm and you're kind of awkward feeling about it. But you're just doing what you've been taught. Mm-hmm. Um, I think almost inevitably in a public schooling situation, you're learning as much from your peers as you are from teachers and people who are above you because you're learning how to interact socially. You're learning how to exist in the system that you're in. Homeschoolers aren't in the same systems at all a lot of times, certainly not ones who were raised the way I was. Um, And so I think I've had an assumption that other people are more socially aware or more able to interact or make friends more easily. And I've I've felt presented to them more frequently. Maybe so. It doesn't mean that they make friends more easily. Yeah. Um, But one area this has showed itself is I guess one area that I have struggled with assumption a lot is in looking at people and assuming they're a certain way based on titles that can be applied to them. Or you could say labels that could be applied to them, right? One of the easy ones is work. What do you do? And there's an assumption almost automatically built into our minds based on what kind of badge are they wearing? Well, and and even one step further, is what I was saying earlier, when someone asks that as the lead question, you can't help but now think in the, in a very corporate area that we live in. They're asking to 
really is what they want to ask is, what can you do for me? Hmm. Hmm, you know, how I can we network together? Hmm, let's network. That really means like, how can you be a benefit to my life? Can you offer me anything? If not, uh, on to the next person. What do you do? That's where I have come to see that question from more often than not in every corporate world. Hmm. What do you do is, can we help each other? Which means, can you help me? <laughs> yeah. You know, it makes me think of something really funny that I don't get embarrassed very much. It's very difficult for me to get embarrassed. Okay. And if you would ask me, can you think of an embarrassing moment and tell it me, uh, I, I couldn't generally. I can't think of anything. But now I'm remembering one, and I'm trying to <laughs> cement it in my brain <laughs> so that I can All right. recall it. We created something. And it's that I, and it's related to what we were talking about. Because I was, I was interested in a young woman, and I wanted to spend time with her. <laughs> And I said to her one day, we should connect. And as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, that sounded so weird. That sounded like such so a forced. corporate business terminology. Oh we should connect sometime. Was her response, uh, I just don't have the bandwidth for that right now. <laughs> I think she laughed and said like, what? <laughs> Probably something like that. And then I had to repeat myself, but using different words. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so that's my embarrassing that moment. That, that, is a, that is a good one. Yeah. The example I was going to bring up, though, relating to applying labels to people based on things you can see and then using that label to help you navigate socially with this person. Um, I was in an ambulance. I was in the front seat. There's a driver next to me. I was in Tasmania. There were there was a you could say patient and another paramedic or EMT or whatever she was in the back with the patient. And I was up front, so I just was next to the driver talking. And in my mind there's these assumptions about this person's a paramedic. That means this and this and this about them. Yes. There's something different here than if this person was a barista. Yes. And then I remember starting a conversation with her and just talking while we were driving through the hills of Tasmania and realizing, like, whoa, this is just some woman that I've met here. And they've just been trained with different skills. Yeah. And I get to... This was at a stage when it was first starting to click in my mind. When I interact with people, I have the opportunity to break down that first wall there is of here's what I do and therefore I'm in this mode. I have the opportunity to break through that and get to just the human being that's there. The reason I bring up this example is because it is one that sticks in my mind so well as a moment when I started to realize that, that you can approach anyone and if you look at them as what they do, as, oh, this person's a brewer, this person's a barista, this person's a paramedic, this person's a cop, 
and your brain goes into that mode of thinking, I'm going to interact with them as this thing. That's where you're, you're probably going to end up stuck a lot of the time. You, you can move past it. But if that's your initial in, you may end up stuck there. But we have the opportunity, I think, to move that out of the way and have an interaction of a lot more substance and get to the human being underneath the occupation. And I didn't realize that you could just voluntarily do that and you could train yourself to do that mm -hmm. until very recently. So that's kind of why I say I've only known how to talk to people or how to make friends for a few years because I've just started to learn how do you get those obligatory platitudes out of the way and man i think that's like just, a skill that others don't possess actually i mean i've met people who possess it to a much higher degree than i do fair sure it is an area that i think i've strived to grow in so i'm not going to deny that i have that um but I think we all could get better at that. I mean, just like anything, you practice and you, you get better. Practice makes perfect. Yep. People tell me I'm, I'm good at remembering names. And they're like, so how do you remember people's names? I just say, I honestly just try really hard. <laughs> I don't know how to describe to you my method. I am not good with names, so maybe I should try harder if I want to be. Yeah, if you want to be. I like being good at remembering people's names because I just, it's fun. People, people really enjoy when you remember their name. I remember reading or hearing from somebody at some point. A name, a person's name is the most magical word that you can say to them. And that stuck with me. And I thought, oh, wow, that's, uh, I think there's a lot of truth in that. And so I try to use people's names a lot. And I, I, wasn't born with some special gift for remembering, you know, you people's names. Intentionally work towards yeah. being better at that. Yeah. And you have a really great opportunity to do that, almost a unique one as a barista. Not only do I interact with dozens of people every day, a lot of them are regulars. A lot of them are people who I get to practice knowing on a daily basis. If I don't remember their name today, maybe I'll remember it tomorrow. But they're also, that crowd is always growing and there's always new people being right. added to it. So I get to stretch that muscle constantly of trying to remember people's names. Man, that's really good. So when people say, oh, I'm not good at remembering names, I say, that's not true. That's well, usually what I say. I would actually think that the response from my brain would say, well, that's because you don't want to be. Yeah. See, and those are the kinds of responses I want to give to people in because a coffee they shop. They would take it defensively, but I'm almost right. trying to state it objectively. I'm like, yeah. If you truly want something in life, well, you can't obtain it if you work towards it. Yeah. Um, if you're not good at remembering names, I'm calling myself out right now. Well, that's because you don't want to be. so, And there's nothing right or wrong about that. Then you have to just go down the paths of, well, why don't you want to be? Yeah. What's, what's your reason? 
Like you don't have to be Oftentimes, really good at remembering names. We don't know. Yeah. We don't know ourselves as well as we think we do. Just a version of ourselves. Yeah. Are you pretty um, proactive about self-development? Um, what do you mean? Do you actively try to improve yourself on yes. a regular basis? Yes. Has that always been the case for you? you no. Like you've been pretty driven? I think... Uh, ooh, I th- hmm. In that way. Okay. I think I am a very driven person. I think I was, I was given that driven spirit... Early on, but I use that driven spirit in different ways um, to achieve what I want. And sometimes there have been many chapters, ebbs and flows of my life that I have not been using the, the driven spirit to improve myself necessarily um, from the inside out, but more so to improve superficial things around me. Um, and really only, only recently, um, like April of 2021, if I can be specific, I decided to start using that drive to start focusing on the inside out of, Mm. How do I get more out of myself? More can be anything. Um, but just how do I increase what my limits and capabilities are in any circle, facet, physically, mentally, socially, whatever it is. I don't think the intentional thought of applying the drive to myself within started until then. Okay. April of 2021 Mm -hmm. that's very specific yeah why april of 2021 um the why i still don't know the the what was i'm sitting um on my couch after work it's like six o'clock on a tuesday it's like like a random day a thursday nothing special about it and I'm like, oh, I'm going to go outside and go run a mile. The why is the part that I still don't know. Okay. Um, wasn't a runner in high school. I don't think I had ever ran two miles in one exercise activity ever in my life. Not that I was unathletic, but I, w- I wouldn't have ever called myself a runner before. So the fact that I chose the action, go outside and run a mile was something weird, like a just a random spark in the brain. Didn't own running shoes. Um, was wearing these like flat Puma Superligas and said the goal was to just go outside and run a mile without stopping. Doesn't matter what the pace is, how fast it is, how slow it is, just go outside and continue to move your feet until you get to a mile. And so I did that. And it was awful. It took like nine plus minutes or whatever. But all I walked away from it from was, huh, I thought I was going to go do something. And then I very intentionally did it. That was all that I I took away from it. 
And that started a radical domino in every other aspect of my life. It wasn't just physically, it, it was mentally, it was in my decision-making, in my motivation, um, in how I parented, in how I was a husband, in how I was a boss, how I brewed beer, everything. The mentality changed because of the result of a random action that I chose to do. Hmm. So, I, yeah, I, I can trace it back to the specifics of, of April 21. I just don't know why. Wow, that's really interesting. So... And inspiring to me personally, as someone who's honestly kind of just coming into a similar place of wanting to see goals or just next steps and recognize what I want. Now, go get it. Um, that's been a hard area for me. That's another thing that I've really just started to come into as an adult. Hmm. Um, I tell people I spent most of my life in a really stagnant place. Hmm. I didn't have goals of any sort. I didn't actively pursue anything. I kind of just let the wind carry me along. My favorite phrase was I let, uh, I'd fly by the seat of my pants that and I don't know where that came from either. Speaking I don't think phrases. we often know where these phrases come from. It yeah. freaks me out of like, why are there so many programmed thoughts in my brain? Who programmed them? Yeah, I don't know. But that's how I lived a lot of my life until I ended up sleeping on the ground outside of a church one night in the cold and, and thinking, this is because I didn't plan. And... Mm -hmm. That's when I started planning. That was 2020, shifting things around. That was the beginning of that for me, um, of just being able to recognize not only do I have the ability to plan and make decisions in order to further myself in some direction, um, but it's a beneficial thing for me to do that. I'm still learning a lot about how do I actually make that happen. Isn't it strange how we will identify things as beneficial and yet we will still be reluctant to do them? Yeah. Isn't that a strange catch-22 almost, or if, if, if that's the right way to use the catch-22 phrase? It's strange in that it doesn't seem to be logical, but it's very normal. It's a very normal experience for us. And I, I, I would have... So normal would mean common. Yeah. Yes. Very common experience. Mm -hmm. For myself, I think it would stem most of the time from fear. Mm -hmm. Do you share that experience? Oh, no. I, I do think fear is um, the biggest thing that holds us back of any. Yeah, in any driven, beneficial aspect of life. Like, you know that if you do something, it is beneficial, and yet you're still reluctant to consistently do it. That's got to only be tied to fear in some way. Yeah, I would think so. to, like, sort through that fear. Yeah, certainly there's, there's something. Fear is playing a part in it. 
um, I think of the act of asking a girl on a date is, I would say it's a common experience for a guy to be terrified at that thought. Um, well, so that's identifying the fear of rejection. Yes. Sometimes yeah. you can't even identify what type of fear it is. It's just fear. Yeah. And that's like doesn't work for me. Like, I like don't settle for that. Of like, well, if you can't identify it, then it's not real. If you can't categorize it into something in your brain, then it doesn't exist. Mm. If it does exist, then you'll be able to categorize it, right? If you can't categorize it, then it's not real. It's a good self-motivator. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that <laughs> that reasoning. Sometimes you go, sometimes <laughs> you have to trick yourself in the first step maybe, and then all the other steps will naturally come behind that. But See, that was my strategy in flying by the seat of my pants. Is okay, we're describing leap, this in a different if way. If I yes. leap before looking, then I just have to keep going, and then I, then I will. But if I wait... I become paralyzed with fear and it becomes really difficult to just make one decision after another. But when I've known there's risk involved with what I know I'm going to do, it's scary, there's unknown, I'm just going to jump in because that will build momentum a lot faster than me planning every step of the way. And that's been part of my reasoning for living life the way I have. Mm -hmm. um, but I've, I've learned that that's not always helpful for me. Mm. I guess, and I guess there are some things in life that you have to learn the hard way, right? Yeah. And I think being willing to jump into that is a skill. I think being okay flying by the seat of your pants, being okay with the unknown and without planning things, I think that's a good thing to be able to do. But so is planning and being regimented and efficient and going about a process. And they're both things that are valuable, I think. And I just valued one of those a lot more most of my life. And because of that, I thought, I don't need that other skill. That's just not me. But now I look back and think, I want to be well-rounded, though. There's tons of people who are really good, so much better than me, at planning and figuring things out, who in a moment of crisis where they can't control anything will freak out, while I, in the same situation, feel like, all right, I'm good now. I'm in my element because I just get to survive and figure it out as I go along and I don't have a choice in the matter. But I don't want to be stuck in one route or the other, either having to plan everything or having to just be in be constant... The mercy of... I don't know what. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like you lean in one direction more than the other as regards to those two things? Mm, um, I mean, I am my biggest 
uh, critic and my biggest self motivator of I'm only going to stop myself from doing things or I'm going to motivate myself to do the things. Like it, it doesn't require a lot of outside influence one way or the other. I, I, I guess in talking about this now, like I don't think I ever stop to think about like whenever I don't do something, what's holding me back from doing it? Like is it, is it some sort of fear in not doing whatever I want to do is? Probably, but I've never thought about it like that. And, and so, like, if it's a fear, what are you actually afraid of? And we usually find out that most of our fears are irrational. Yeah. Is that safe to assume? That most of our fears are irrational. Well, what do you mean by safe? You know, if you assume that, you're probably still going to be in this air-conditioned room in a moderately comfortable chair. Mm-hmm. In that sense, it's safe. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Really splitting the hairs. <laughs> <laughs> Have you always had a attention to detail like this when it comes to how you use your words? Um... I think in this case, if I say I don't know, then that would have to mean no. Um, if I haven't, if I don't have constant recollection of truly meaning what you say, then it probably means that I was um, less cautious with my words. Okay. So, can you think of like? I asked you a different question. You pointed to a specific month. Can you think of a time when something shifted and then you became cognizant of the meaning? I should know what my meaning is behind the words that I use. Some, um, some, of, the, some of the big shifts in life? Or is, is, is that what you're asking? Yeah, sure. Was there a shift in how you thought about your communication? Hmm. Well, how careful you were in your communication. So I should back up maybe the year before, we'll call it April, March of 2020, COVID really starts to set in. And so I think I just drank that whole year away. Like there wasn't any thinking because I wouldn't allow my brain to think from a sober standpoint. And I mean, it really is just like thinking back on that era, there could not have been five sober days in that entire year. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, yeah, there wasn't any thinking. The only thinking was, well, if I had X number of drinks yesterday, do I want more or less today? That's the only choice. And it was, I guess it was steered, I felt it was steered, controlled chaos. I'm like, oh, well, if you can live like this without any consequences, then you should. 
but that's not a good enough reason to, to do anything. So there wasn't a lot of thought, I think, prior to that. Um, see, I'm, I'm, a, like, I'm a super one-track mind. You want me to back up all the way to the beginning of life here? Sure. Start, start going yeah, through this. Yeah, normally we do that in the first like 15 <laughs> minutes. We're like an hour and a half into We're, this. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Wait, maybe wait, that wait. was all just the preamble. I'll just cut in okay, like a, this is an just, hour 15. Maybe this is just talk for you and me. Because I could do this all day. Um, let me back up to the beginning. Okay. And explain how my one-track mind has operated. So I was raised very conservative Christian. Um, what I would define as a sheltered home, as in things of the world can be, this can be like very superficial and superficial and shallow. Um, we're talking movies, PG 13. That was a no go. Even well after I was 13 years old. Um, I was also homeschooled off and on all throughout my childhood. So Went to kindergarten, um, then first through third, I was homeschooled, which are like, it's like such a developmental chapter from like the brain's evolution. You learn to read and write in those years. Um, your motor skills start to take shape, all of that. Like, so six, seven, and eight, I was homeschooled. Then I started going to a private school in fourth grade. And was at that private school um, all the way through ninth grade. And that's probably what I think back on my childhood, like the biggest social chapter of my life, of what you're describing, like learning to socialize with your peers. That was the five, six-year block that I learned that skill that maybe I took for granted that it just was happening, so I didn't even realize it was happening. But unless you had that... You maybe wouldn't know. Um, then I was offered, so I hated going to this private school. It was, it was ran with extreme structure and discipline. And I think any kid would rebel from extreme structure and discipline. Typically, yeah. Typically. Yeah. And, and so my parents offered me I started 10th grade at this school. I remember this. It's funny to think back on things that I remember vividly, but you don't think about very often. We started school on a Thursday. And Thursday of 10th grade, I went to school Thursday and Friday. My parents asked me on a Saturday, would you want to be homeschooled the rest of the year? And I was like, yeah. That sounds better than going back to school on Monday. Because I'm a kid. If you can not go back to school on Monday, that sounds cool. So I started homeschooling. And I'm definitely using air quotes. Um, that following Monday of my sophomore year, started homeschooling. Which really meant I just wasn't going to school. Not like my 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 dad was still working. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, but... She wasn't my teacher like she was whenever it was first, second, and third grade. She's not the teacher of a kid in 10th grade. Um, 
So it was, I, it, maybe my parents thought about this after the fact. I've never asked them. They were basically asking a 14-year-old, 15-year-old kid, do you want to go to school or do you not want to go to school? And so I was like, I don't want to go to school. And uh, so that was 10th grade. That was also 11th grade. And then in the summer between my, what would have been my junior and senior year, took the ACT, um, qualified to get into college off of the scores, and just immediately started going to college, what would have been my senior year. Um, so I started going to NWAC, the community college here locally, uh, my senior year. Um, full full credits, all that. Um Never finished high school, never got a GED, nothing. Um, did that for a semester and a half. And so the, the, the plan was to get my associates and then transfer that associates to the University of Arkansas for junior and senior year. So I'm almost done with my sophomore year. Would have been going into. Okay, so. Senior year of high school, I guess I did X number of hours. And then. Freshman year was that. Sophomore year, I only did one semester. And then the fall approached. And. New chapter of life was offered to start touring in a band. Okay. So it was some guys that I knew we had, were kind of playing some shows locally. And this band that we knew from Iowa was like, Hey, we can form a tour uh, in the center of the country from like Minnesota to Texas. You guys want to go on tour with us? And I was all I ever wanted to do all throughout my whole life was travel. And so I was like, I'm in. I'm dropping out of college. Um, we're doing this. Let's let's go on a tour. Let's do one tour. I'll come back to school beginning of the year, finish my associates, continue on. So the week before we left for the tour, the headlining band, the band that booked this tour, was like, yeah, we can't go. We're going to have to drop off this tour. The shows are all booked, though, if you guys want to go play. And so we're just like, well, we're going to go just because we want to go travel. Mm-hmm. So we leave to go on this tour. Um, three or four stops in. We're in Oklahoma. We meet this band called Becoming the Archetype. They were on Solid State at the time. And they go, hey, so you guys are on a tour and your headliner's not on the tour. We're on a tour and our opening band dropped off the tour. You guys want to just open for us the rest of the tour. We're going to the East Coast. And we're like, we're in. So basically we like call our parents and we're like, we're staying out an extra couple weeks, right? So we go do this whole East Coast tour. um, Get home three weeks later. And I was like, wow, that was the coolest experience of my life, which in hindsight, it was the coolest experience of my life to that point. Let's do more tours. 
let's just try and start touring all the time. Um, and so from that moment on, the next seven years of my life were touring full time in a band. It was like everything. I mean, it was my job. We we put out two records um, on Solid State. We toured Europe, forty seven states, Canada. We did all that, and uh, that was my whole mindset. Very one track mind is, is where I'm going with this story of. That was everything. And then Lauren and I got pregnant with Marcy in December of 2013. And so this would have been about year six and a half of touring. Touring had kind of ran its course. Like we had traveled. Really, that was the goal. To travel. Uh-huh. I wasn't necessarily in love with playing music. I was in love with traveling. I had fallen in love with craft beer while I was touring, which I'll get to. But um, we got pregnant, and so planned my last tour the summer of 2014. Played my last show in Grand Rapids, Michigan in July of 2014. And to this day, I have never played an instrument ever again. Like it was seven years of my life. It was everything. It was my every day for seven straight years. What I dropped out of college for, boom, I was done. Hmm. Time to go on to a new life. I'm, yeah. I'm like so all in or all out on how my mindset is that sold all my equipment and bought a bunch of homebrewing equipment with it and started <laughs> deeper in that journey that I had really just begun to dabble in in the last year or so. Um, so that was certainly a pivotal moment. Uh, Marcy was born like a month, month later and uh, really loved rolling into dad life and what that, like what that life became. Um, I was bartending at the time that the whole rest of that year. And then um, through bartending, it led to working for a beer distributor. We met the distributor that was selling a lot of the beer to us. I liked that. Went to go work for the distributor. Um, Then went to go run a sales team for a new brand. New Province had just opened. They They were still in their first year. We're looking to kind of start a sales team and grow a sales team. So I went from a distributor to go work for them and and launch that and oversee that. Did that for a year and a half. And all while in that year and a half, knowing I wanted to open my own brewery. Like I had latched on to that is the goal. The goal is to open my own brewery. So um, finally secured all the loans and everything. January of 2018 was opened by September of 2018. And um, then it all just became about about beer. Like it, it became about the beer industry, um, the passion of brewing. That was the one track mind. And when COVID kind of set in, we were a year and a half into being open with the business. It almost like took a part of what I thought my identity was away from me, which was brewing beer, selling beer, being out in the market. And so it's like, okay, well, all I can do now is drink the beer. 
I guess. So I'll just do that. And beer is not what it's a lot. It's it's hard to get really drunk on drinking just beer alone. So it evolves into liquor, and uh, then it was X number of shots a day for the year straight, and then April of twenty one, mm-hmm. just like something clicked of like oh. Shift your one-track mind, shift the way that your brain focuses and operates to something productive, not destructive. And I think up until that point, I was so busy with everything in life that I was accomplishing so much that I was never aware of what was going on around me. So I wasn't a good, I wasn't a good listener. Um, I wasn't capable of like, really deep conversation with people. I didn't know myself probably um, because I had always attached myself to what I was doing. So I was, I was going to college to major in accounting and finance and uh, I like numbers. I still like numbers, Uh Um, but certainly didn't necessarily see myself sitting in a cubicle at a CPA firm. So figuring that out, 18, 19, then I am, well, I'm a bass player in a band. And that was my identity for all of my early 20s. If anyone knew me, it's like, oh yeah, that's the bass player of the band. That's who I was. I didn't, I wasn't capable of separating, no, that's what I did, not that's who I am. I like assume what I'm doing as who I am a lot of times. And then it became... Well, I am the owner and brewer of a of a brewery. That's who I am. Well, no, that's not who you are. That's just what you do. But I got so lost within it that I almost had to go down a really dark, destructive road to find that answer. I feel like you could have I could have taken different roads to find that answer, but I went down the dark, destructive road to find the answer of oh, that's. That's simply just what you do. That's not who you are. And it was, uh, oh, okay, so you don't really know who you are. If you take away what you do from the equation, who are you? And uh, that's where I pinpointed all that to like April 21, something just clicked. Hmm. Maybe it's just I finally had achieved enough wisdom and old age and maturity and all those those words you're supposed to say when you get older. I had finally taken those on. The, wow. So that's like a really quick recap of my 34 years yeah. of life. <laughs> I could wish we had started with that sooner because <laughs> there's so much we could dig into I there. There's, there's a lot of interesting things. Yeah, so like, many things. Yeah. Um, but that that's fine. Really, okay. is what I I I will say this. Um, I fell in love with craft beer whenever I was touring, um, going to these small towns, and yeah, going to play the show at the venue was cool and all that. That became repetitious really quick. It was going to explore the town, finding whatever local craft brewery you could that only served beer in that town and. And so 
as you had repeat stops on your tours over the years, you looked forward to going to that brewery in that town, not playing that show at that venue. And so I carried, I, I formed a love of craft beer that I knew I wanted to carry into Northwest Arkansas and needed a beer scene still. And it had not quite even started. I think like this was like the era where there, there was core and Saddlebach were the only two brands in the area. And Ozark was about to get going as Benton County was just voted to go wet finally from a dry County. And, but I knew I wanted to bring that craft beer passion and experience to Northwest Arkansas. So I did that, but then I got lost in that as my identity also. Which leads into another fascinating subject of conversation that can go a a long span of time, which is how do you know your identity and what is identity? Mm -hmm. And now, like, I don't think we have time. I don't think we have time. Which Um, is fine. Like, I wanted to mention that how... um, there's always like spiritual talk on this show. I don't know how many episodes you listen to, mm-hmm. but there's like almost always that road we go down. I had somebody, a coworker, ask me um, if I ever have anyone secular on the podcast. And I was like, that's secular. It's a really interesting way to phrase that question. You mean like Michael W. Smith or <laughs> Justin Timberlake? Are we talking like. <laughs> yeah. It's. Christian for I, secular I don't, music. I don't have not one person who I've talked with on this show has the same sense of spirituality as I do. Everybody, I think, who I've had on has some sense of it mm-hmm. and could put labels on it. And a lot of it is rooted in a sense of Christianity. Mm-hmm. But as we were talking earlier about like our language and what do things mean, there's so much, there's so many connotations to that word Christianity and lots of assumptions people make about, oh, you said you're a Christian, that means this about you. And that I think can make it hard for people to stop themselves from labeling like this show, for example, as a Christian podcast, mm. which if you, if you talk with me much or ask certain questions, you'll realize I do not identify, nor would I be placed in the camp of any kind of traditional Christian typically, mm-hmm. not if you really get me talking mm-hmm. and I love that I'm I'm personally really enjoying it that you brought up the subject just so briefly raised in a really conservative Christian home and that was all there was to it and we didn't get into it because one of the things that has characterized my conversations in that area with people is that because I'm unconventional in that area and really open as far as spiritual conversations go. I'm also not worried about addressing people's spirituality necessarily all the time. I'm really fascinated by it. I love those conversations. 
but the podcast also has evolved so much and I've realized I, I, I can sit down and I can hope to have a conversation and that's what it's going to be. But if I try to make it something specific, it just hasn't felt right to me mm. and you can't cover everything. The reason I do the podcast is to just have a conversation with somebody to start one, not to finish any conversations. Um, so I think it's funny. We're, just, we're gonna leave it hanging. Yeah, I mean, that. all I think all I, I would add to it was like, whenever I think conservative Christian, for me, is what that meant in living it was. I was raised like in the assemblies of God. Mm-hmm. And, so was I. And uh, there's a lot of deep conditioning that that's going on with that, or at least for me, my realization is that there was things that I'm still unpacking today of of man the amount of guilt that that I would feel over who knows what was probably stemmed from from that and then I also think in like briefly touching on it and then moving on there's almost like a respect to my parents of not wanting to paint a certain picture of who they were to someone who would be one of the 100 million followers listening to this of I could say one extra sentence that would form a negative opinion about them, but that's like not fair to them. I guess I have enough respect of, well, this happened, but it could have been for X number of reasons. It was so your I'll experience. Just, I'll just leave it at that one sentence and then start telling the story. You can yeah. do with it what you want. Compartmentalize it however you want to. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's <laughs> probably part of that. But that is a whole episode. That yes. Or just conversation in general. Yeah, yeah just a conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I was also raised in an Assemblies of God. Okay. Until I was um, old enough to start driving <laughs> and going where I wanted to go. Did you feel like you were running away? Um, initially, no. I have run away a number of times in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I ended up in Arkansas. That's how I ended up in Australia. Mm-hmm. Just running away. Um, at the time, I was really just, I think, pretty calmly just exploring what do I actually want to be doing. And I still very much identified as, you know, I was, I was 18 probably, and I was still, I'm a traditional Christian. I have these conservative backgrounds. These are the things that I believe. But just this particular church does some weird things that I don't really agree with, and so I'm going to go somewhere else. And it was the first chance, really, that I had to do something not because it's what my family did. Mm-hmm. Right? I was 18. I have a car now. I can drive. Was I have a job. Was it a rodeo? No, it was a 2005 Hyundai Accent. Okay. It's my first car. Yeah. Let's see. Kind of trying to put that into. At first, I thought for a split second, I was like, "Oh, you got a new car then?" Thinking back on like, but no, no, oh five, you're twenty seven. Yeah, I think it was. Got it. Twenty thirteen. Okay. It was the newest car that I've owned. Still to this day. Yeah. Yeah. To this day. Yeah. And my least favorite, ironically. The ah, older my cars have gotten, the more I've enjoyed you've them. You've got more of that character. Yeah, yeah. 
But anyway, yeah, they were, it was less out of a sense of, I think, rebelling against what I had been raised in and or running away and more just beginning to explore on my own for the first time. Yeah. Which is a valuable thing. It is. Like, there's so much in life that we have to learn from our own experiences, not what other people are telling us. Yeah. Whereas... My parents didn't do this to me. I did this to myself mentally. I had an I have an older sister. She's four years older. Well, she got in trouble a lot, you know, just for kid things as we got older. I always viewed it as, ooh, learn from her mistakes. And my parents would even say that. Learn from, you know, their mistakes. Don't make the same the same choices because you're gonna get in trouble too. You see what the consequences are. But it 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 made me think like oh, well, I don't have to learn anything for myself. I'll just learn everything from other people's mistakes. When I finally got old enough, I didn't know it either, but I was running away for sure in the form of touring. I realized for the first time, wow, the real lessons in life are learned by you doing them. That's how, like, or at least that's how my brain was able to comprehend and process things better, was to be the doer, not just sit back and watch. And certainly learn more about life in touring through culture and different parts of the country, getting out of the Bible Belt for the first time ever um, than I ever did in a book in college or school. Yeah. So here I am, a business owner in my 30s with neither a high school degree nor a college degree. Wow. That's great. (laughs) It's really wild. (laughs) It's really weird. Yeah. It'll catch up to me one day. but Maybe. Maybe. Well, we're going to wind down cool. this conversation anyway. Every episode ends with the same two things, though. And that's the guest gives a recommendation, which can be anything at all, from the most trivial to the most existential. Um, and then ends on a high note with a funny story or a joke. So what's your recommendation, Bradley? Okay. Um, my recommendation, I really want to reach, I want to find something that can apply to all 100 million followers. Wow, that's, that's a tall order. Gosh, that is a tough challenge. Am I up for it? I'm just going to give a such a boring, stereotypical local plug is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Go have dinner at Oven and Tap. And I just explained this to someone last week, so I feel like this it's fresh in my mind. Just order from the right side of the menu. And Oven and Tap is a wood-fired pizza place. Their pizzas are fine. But the magic is in all the things that are not pizza in the right side of the menu. Okay. Just pick whatever it is changing for the week. And it's not the most expensive food in town or like the classiest restaurant in town. But whatever you order from the right side of the menu is the best thing you could have in town the night that you order it. It's truly an experience. They just... So that's my recommendation. All 100 million followers, 
Okay. Evan Come to Tapp. Bentonville, Arkansas. Be Go to Evan and Tap. Get the right side of the menu. It's just... It brings me so much joy every time I go there because I always order something different too. And man, and uh, also I encourage people to. I've just started doing this in the last like month. This is a fresh, fresh tip. If you're going out on a date with someone or if it's a big setting of people, so it can either be a one-on-one experience in dining or a big table of eight people. Whenever it's your turn to order, just say, I'll have what they're having. If you if it's just a one-on-one, the server knows what you're talking about. The table of eight, point at someone that's ordered and just order what they're having. And you will have the same food experience that that person does. And there's something about connecting over food in that sense. Don't be the person, as I have so guilty and was so so guilty of all throughout my 20s, taking the longest to order to make sure I make the right choice and don't have regrets in what I get. Don't be that person because then you're making that plate of food all about you. Get something that someone else is ordering and then you can share an experience as to what you're both having. So that's that. That started, I'd like to say, that started as what seemed like a shallow level recommendation (laughs) and became like a really socially challenging recommendation. It's maybe me to not show. Disrupt your expectations. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That Uh, What else? What else you got? What's the other question? Funny story or a joke. Most people, I mean, pretty much everybody, if you really try you can think of a funny story and that's usually i think more enjoyable than a joke i just like to end on a high note all right a funny story wow i think every guest i'm wondering i should say if every guest that that has sat on on this podcast and you've asked that question their mind for the very first split second goes blank of oh gosh what story am i going to tell Pretty much. A little bit of panic sets in, and then immediately a story comes to their mind. I just had that moment. Okay. I'm excited to tell a funny story. Um, so very funny in my world of touring and playing for a band. I actually ended up playing bass and becoming the archetype for almost a year during this time frame. And we fun fact. I don't like to interrupt, but I've been thinking this the whole time. My older brother, one of them, is a huge fan of Becoming the Archetype. so funny. And I grew up hearing him talk about it and hearing you say that you were the bassist in Becoming the Archetype. So, well, the bassist in Becoming the Archetype was and is Jason Wisdom. His name is so great, I have to say it. Like Jason, Jason Wisdom is a great name. And he is what people think of as like the famous, talented singer and bass player that was the face of becoming the, the archetype. But he went on like a year hiatus of doing some other things, and they asked me to come fill in and play bass for them. Well, on one of those tours, we went to Europe, and one of our shows, we had to fly from Rome to England. And... Even at whatever level 
you're imagining the band to be at from a status standpoint. You can throw all that stuff out the window. It was five dudes trying to travel around Europe, hopefully not spending all of their money. That's that's the level that we were truly at. Okay. So we had all this merchandise with us that we're selling at show to show. And they told us that we were going to have to, at the Rome airport, that we were going to have to check each bag of merchandise, um, treat it as a check check bag. And it was going to be like $1,000 in, in baggage fees. And so the guitar player, Seth, just looks at us and goes, well, guys, we're not paying $1,000. So start putting on shirts. I'm like, huh? He's like, just start layering up. So we're standing there in the middle of the Rome airport, layering up. And I'm talking 20 shirts deep a person. Between five of us, we had 100 shirts on probably. Hard to walk. I mean, we're just completely swollen with shirts. And we've shoved all the extra stuff into our own bags, um, spaced out all the weight. We've got it down to one check bag at this point. Well... People working at the airport are very annoyed by the Americans. The Americans are the entitled of overdressed. Gosh, quite literally <laughs> overdressed. Just we were fitting a lot of stereotypes in in uh, setting up how the rest of the world views this country. Okay, we had. They had to hold the plane on the runway and directly shuttle us out because it took us so long to get through baggage check, TSA, and all that. We get through. They drive us out to the plane. We go up the steps onto the plane. Everyone on the plane's like, what the heck? These Americans are the reason that our flight's been held up and all that. We get situated. Well, I guess the baggage people were pretty pissed off about all of it. We, we land in England, and our bags start coming out, and they are just ripped apart. And the, like the belt where all your bags come out and go around in the circle, there's just like a hundred Becoming the Archetype shirts all over the belt, getting stuck in the grooves. Some are getting sucked in. We're still dressed, or <laughs> I get all these shirts, and... um. I, I still think back on that as like that was the most ridiculous thing I've ever been a part of before all because we just didn't want to spend a little bit of money we were just like no we're taking all this merch with us and uh, we're going to do it literally by any means necessary um, but yeah seeing all the the torn up bags and shirts come out on the on the belt was uh, kind of satisfying it was I almost like tour. it was almost like we did it. We got it all here. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> so that's that's my that's my funny story that popped in my head. That's oh. great. Yeah. If nothing else, when you travel, you have stories, mm-hmm. and stories are powerful. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what power this one exerted, but um, it could make a lot of people laugh. I hope so. Which is powerful indeed yes just hope to bring some joy never never have enough joy I agree Um, yeah just more simple pleasures and happiness and joy in life
So when we talk about like the weird mental space and uh-huh. how to articulate it, I've started to uh, say, well, let's go word, word by word in that sentence. Let's, let's make sure that we're on the same definition terms of what each word means. Yeah. And it always comes back to, well, what is weird? Right. Weird is the most broad descriptor in the whole world. Yeah. Is weird good? Is weird bad? Is weird actually normal? Like, then what is normal? And then you just yeah domino. Oh, <laughs> but man. yeah, weird is always a, uh, hmm, tell me what weird means to you. And Yeah, dude, yeah. I love that. Especially like being, being very involved in Christian community. Mm-hmm. One of my passions is breaking down Christianese or religious talk and saying, let's use words that make sense on their own and at least starting with each other, have a conversation about what do we mean by this word and that word and this word? Because often things are just thrown around. So we're only not having those conversations because of like fear, I guess, of we're not sure what we mean and then the unknown, right? It's like, oh, well, I don't know what I mean. So if I don't know what I mean, then you hide behind. Yeah, that's probably part of it too. I think in large part, uh, without the the gracious or generous way for me to look at it is it's a result of laziness in our speech, like not really thinking through the the potential various meanings of what we're talking about, and just assuming everyone's on the same track with the word we're using. Ah, uh, assumption. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't, like, I don't want to bring that into any area of my speech, let alone when I start talking about matters of, like, faith and religion and spirituality and Mm -hmm. eternal destiny and all these, like, big existential issues. I don't want to be talking in a certain way that just assumes you also will talk in the same way about this subject. Okay, so, for example, I'm really bad with Lauren, my wife, about I'll start saying something to her like I assume that she knows where I'm at at that moment in my head. And so I'll probably have to have the first sentence or first paragraph in my head. And I'll, you know, this, and I'll yeah. some something out. And she'll be like, we were talking about <laughs> dinner, and now you're talking about, like, China or whatever. And you just yeah. assumed that I was coming with you. Like, I'm just really bad about almost... I don't assume I just work out the first part in my head and then I blurt out the, the second part and people are like, oh, well, how do I figure out what the first part is? Most times people don't ask the questions because no one's ever actually listening. 